So glad that you're with us uh, today. Um, we're in the book of Mark, as uh, Evan just said, and uh, we are in Mark 2. So if you want to open your Bible there, we're just going to be hanging out there the entire uh, time today. We'll be jumping into a little bit of the Old Testament, but I can read that for you. One of the weird things is that there's no place to ever put your mask that's like sanitary or whatever, but just owning that reality. Okay, uh, let, me, let me pray again, and, and let's get going. Uh, Lord, thank you for... Um, your ministry to us, and Jesus, uh, you, you unveiled who God really was. You showcased the power, the authority, the significance, the proximity, and the fascination of who God is. And so would you, uh, would you reveal to us who you are this morning and reveal that you are here in our midst, and uh, we love you. Amen. All right, so uh, interruptions and distractions. How many of you like interruptions and distractions? Okay, my son. Okay, good. What? Yeah, you're gonna, it's a whole different category, making them as opposed to enjoying them, right? Completely different. But most of us don't like it. We're a very driven society. We like to stay focused or we like to think that we're focused. Um, but we don't like things getting in the way of what we set out to do. Uh, it depends on who is our distraction or who's our interruption, right, during COVID. Well, we're still kind of in that, right? But at home, I would work a lot, and I would get constant interruptions and distractions from the four cutest little people uh, in the world. Uh, but when they interrupt and distract, they're not always necessarily cute, are they, right? We can become very frustrated in that moment that, like, don't you know that I'm doing very important things to change the world? Didn't you know that? In fact, we can think that everything we do is out to change the world when we're interrupted. Um, but we, we like control. We like to be focused. We like staying on track. But the thing about Jesus that, if, if we're honest, probably bothers our, our Western minds is that he was consistently interrupted. He was consistently distracted away from the things you should be thinking that, Jesus, you should be doing this. In fact, what we see with the crowds, there were lots of crowds that got around Jesus. And it was like any time, it was almost like magnets, right? That instead of them coming together, they were, they were opposites, right? And they were, as the crowds would come, Jesus would try and get away further. And this is what we just see all throughout the book of Mark and all throughout the ministry of Jesus. His ministry and life was one of constant interruption and distraction. And the thing about Jesus that, you know, it bothers me in the good way because I, I want to respond like he does, is that with almost every distraction and interruption except one that we see, uh, he embraces it. He embraces it as an opportunity for the kingdom of God to be seen and enjoyed in this moment, right? Also, I you know, we've had the benefit of starting a kid's thing, but Jesus loved kids being around. And so if you're like, oh man, kid crying, I'm like, oh, that's new life, right? The little man's teething, right? Ah, uh, it's the worst. How many of you remember teething? No one. It's because it's so horrible that you are not meant to remember it, right? So yes, so we just, we have so much grace on little kids that are teething. Um, but the thing is, Jesus's life was constantly interrupted. He was constantly distracted away from what we think he should be doing. And the thing is, Jesus is becoming famous now. We're one chapter into Mark, and he's becoming famous. The crowds are everywhere with him. He cannot get away from them. And so we're going to see two crowd accounts today. So let me read to you Mark 2, verse 1 and 2, and then Mark 2, verse 13. 
And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And probably not his home, by the way, probably the home of Andrew and uh, Simon. But he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And then in verse 13, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. You see, crowds never impressed Jesus. Sometimes we get a crowd around us, and we're like, whoa, I must be doing something amazing. Um, But crowds tend to uh, get around anything worthy of attention. Uh, If someone gets hurt, there's a crowd around it. If someone's juggling bowling pins in the old port, there's a crowd around it. If someone is doing anything, right, that that is jockeying for attention, there's a crowd. Crowds don't always indicate that this is something that God is doing. And we just need to get that in our minds that sometimes we only think, oh, we can only have 25-ish people here. Um, God can't really work. God only works when there's big crowds and big noise and bands and ah, and it's like, no, 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 Jesus kept getting away from that stuff because Jesus's ministry, Jesus had compassion in the crowds, yes, but Jesus's ministry was in the one-on-ones. Jesus tried to get alone with the small groups of people so that he could actually speak and minister into their reality. But when Jesus would have the crowds, what would he do? He would be preaching and teaching. Jesus speaks in Mark 4, which we'll get to in many weeks from now, um, but he speaks about the sower who goes out to sow seeds. And this isn't like a modern industrial big tractor thing that just like does it all for you. It's like some guy or a woman with a pouch that goes and like just throws seeds wherever. And some of it would land on on ground that's kind of like this concrete, nothing would come up. Others would land on really good, soft soil that was ready for that seed. And so it's just like a reminder, a wake up for us, that as we're hearing preaching this morning, that Jesus wants to speak to our hearts. Jesus wants for our our hearts to be ready to hear. And whether you're a little kid or whether you're a more well-seasoned adult, right, that, that Jesus wants to minister to you. That Jesus sees you, he knows where you're coming in, or the concerns, the fears, the sleeplessness, the too much sleep, right? Whatever you're coming in with, Jesus sees you where you're at, and he wants to minister to you this morning. Is your heart ready? Are you ready to experience Jesus? Because the way that Mark talks about Jesus, it's almost like he's right behind this curtain, and, and he's getting you ready for Jesus to, to pop out and minister to you in that same way. That these are not things that just happened in the first century. These are things that are happening today as well. But if you do ministry to the crowds, let's go back to the crowds for one second. How many of you were part of Church 21 when we met at the theater? Right? There's, there's like only a few of us. It's, it's crazy. Um, we had 107 people leave the city during COVID from Church 21. It's like, it's just absolutely wild. But um, when we met at the theater, it was like crowd control. You had to have signs and people and like, you, it was very, very organized because we met up on the fifth floor. And so it required all this stuff. And if there was an interruption to the crowds, right, getting up there, oh, it was so frustrating, so annoying. But not for Jesus. When Jesus' ministry, teaching, preaching would get interrupted, it's like, he was like, what's going to happen this is going to be good. Because it's like he's just stopping sowing. It's like, just stop sowing for a minute. There's a new opportunity. And that's what we get to see in this text. So imagine, uh, I was preaching in NDG this morning, 
and they had like a tiled ceiling. So you could actually kind of imagine if someone removed the tiles and like dug out through the, the mud and whatever and got down in. But imagine, middle of sermon, and all of a sudden we start hearing a noise, and it's not children running around upstairs, because that happens sometimes too. But it's like someone digging and trying to get down here. Look at what happens in Mark, Mark 2, verse 3. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. There was the crowd. Sometimes a crowd gets in the way of something good happening, right? You're on the highway and there's a crowd of cars and like the, the ambulance just can't get through. And you just, you're yelling at the ambulance like, sorry, there's nothing I can do. But they're like trying to get to a dying person or something. That the cars get in the way of real care taking place. And sometimes the crowds actually get in the way of ministry happening. And so these guys could have came with like, you know, buddy on the bed, bedridden buddy, and it's like, oh, sorry, buddy, you know, we couldn't get through the opening, there's too many people, we'll just head home, you just have a few more years left of being paralyzed, don't worry, but instead they're like, no, we know that our only hope for this guy getting any help at all is in there, and we can't get to him through here, so we, we're going up on the roof, which in, in first century homes, there were stairs right next to uh, where the actual house was. So you go up and then you'd, you'd hang out on the roof. And so they just dug a hole through the roof to get down. Why would they do this? Why would they dig a hole in someone's roof? I mean, I'm assuming they didn't know them super well. Why would you dig a hole in someone's roof? Jesus was the only one who could do anything about this guy's problem. If you've been paralyzed, you've tried for years to get help. You've tried to, to figure out, is there any way we can walk or army crawl or do anything? I've worked with many paralyzed people before, and some of the therapy, the physio that they do is really like, how do we just help you exist and, and be as high-functioning as you possibly can? You just kind of accept loss at one level and just help them be the best life that they can live. But they realize that the one that was inside could actually change the trajectory completely of their friend. This is their only hope. It's like, oh, you're going to get mad at us for digging a hole in the roof? We don't care. We know that the one inside is the only one who can do something about our friend. And we have nowhere else to go. He's our only shot. And so after they dug out this hole, what happens? Well, in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus sees their faith. This is the, I think, the third or fourth time we're seeing the seeing that it wasn't like they, they were wearing t-shirts, that I have faith in Jesus. And he's like, oh, I see your t-shirt. You have faith in me. Okay, I understand. It's that he saw inside of their heart what was going on in them, that they were, they were digging for him. They were persisting for him, that in him was where their, their, their faith was rooted. And faith here isn't just a, a mere intellectual pursuit. It's not a, an ascent to like, oh, yes, I have faith. Faith comes in the form of actually working, being like, I have faith that Jesus can do something about this, so therefore I'm going to dig my way in. And the surprising thing comes in the second half of verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. What? What? This is a paralyzed guy. Why are you focusing on sins? Don't you see he can't walk? Like, Jesus, they, are you not getting the full picture of what's happening here? 
right? We brought you here for a different, brought him here for a different reason. Why would Jesus start there? This is the question that would be going on in your mind if you were there. Why would you start there? And secondly, who are you to say that your sins are forgiven? The people there would have known the Old Testament really well. They would have known that only God can forgive sins. And now Jesus is saying, well, I forgive you. Let me just read a few things from the Old Testament. Uh, In Psalm 41, verse 4, book in the Old Testament, Psalm 41, verse 4 says this. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. In the Old Testament, uh, healing and forgiveness are sometimes interchangeable. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. So this isn't just a healing like fix my elbow. This is a healing like make me whole, make me complete, make me spiritually, emotionally, physically well. Jeremiah um, chapter 3, verse 22, another book in the Old Testament says this, Jeremiah 3.22. Return, O faithless sons, God speaking. I will heal your faithlessness, or I will heal your sin and your rebellion. So as Jesus, as Jesus sees the sick person coming down and he speaks out healing spiritually, this wouldn't have missed the attention of those that were around him. They would have caught on like, Oh, there's something more significant happening than just what's on the surface. But who is Jesus to say this? Who is Jesus to pronounce forgiveness? Well, they were thinking the same thing. In verse 6, some of the scribes, the scribes are the teachers. They're the really really smart ones that know their Bibles well and know what, what people are supposed to believe about God. They were there. They knew that only God can forgive they, they could be okay if Jesus were to say, God forgives you. Because in the Old Testament, that had happened. You know David? David is a character in the Old Testament. Nathan, this prophet, came to David one time, 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. And he said, uh, don't worry, God forgives you. So they could be okay with that. They could be okay with that. But the way that Jesus was proclaiming this is something completely different. Jesus says that I, I forgive your sins. Your sins are forgiven. And he calls him son. Calls him son like you're part of my family now. So if you're there, you're like, what is going on? This this is something so weird. It's like me walking in, seeing a child that's not my own and being like my son. It's like, nah, he's not your son. You can't just walk in and like claim ownership of him. But yet this is what Jesus does. He walks in, son, your sins are forgiven. And he does this with an authority. The authority to forgive sins and rebellion is, is on me. It's on me, Jesus is saying. Now, this is where we have to like slow down and pay careful attention. Because what Jesus is doing, are you familiar with like Superman, like kind of unveiling who he is, right? He's got the, the blue shirt on underneath, right? In a sense, Jesus is unveiling a bit of who he is without coming out and saying, I'm the son of God. But he's showing everything that you've been looking for, I'm doing. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. 
Because what Jesus is saying is either blasphemy, which is worthy of death, or it's true action. Either Jesus, Jesus in some way, shape, or form has to back up the fact that he can say, son, your sins are forgiven. Listen to what Irenaeus says of this. How can sin be remitted unless the very one against whom one has sinned against grants the, pa- the pardon? Right? If, if you sin against me, Kelly, Kelly comes and, and he, he breaks into my car because he sees my kid's scooter and I'm like, bro, like, you're, it's not going to work for you anyway. But he comes, breaks in, steals Nehemiah's scooter and like leaves. And then the next day he's like, oh, I feel really bad about that. And he comes back and then he goes to, to Robert and he says, Robert, like, I'm so sorry that I broke into Dwight's, Dwight's van and took Nehemiah's scooter. And Robert's like, that's okay, I forgive you. I'm like, no, 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 that doesn't work that way. Like, you have to go through me. Like, look at these biceps. Like, come on, man, right? Robert doesn't get to forgive Kelly on my behalf. It's not the way it works, right? He would have to come to me. And yet Jesus is saying, I forgive you because your sin, your rebellion has been against me. And Jesus is going to go to the cross. And he was going to absorb the sin, the rebellion of this paralytic and, and all of humanity on the cross. That Jesus came, his, his purpose for coming was to absorb the sin so that he could forgive the sin. To absorb the debt so that he could forgive your debt. To, to be cast out of the family so that you could be brought in to the family. But Jesus doesn't unpack that all for them in this moment. Jesus knows if he says, I am the son of God, you've been looking for me, this will get him killed right away. And so Jesus, he said things like, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you'll understand who I am. If you can see what's going on in the midst of the healings, in the midst of the casting out demons, in the midst of the preaching, you're going to see who I am. Jesus does this marvelous thing as well in in verse 8 and 9. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they, meaning the scribes, those, those guys that knew a lot about the Bible, that they were questioned, or questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Imagine that you were here thinking something about me, and I just called it out. Hey, why, why are you thinking that? You're like, oh, I wasn't thinking it. It's like, yes, you were. I know what's going on inside of you. This is that moment for Jesus. Why are you questioning these things in your hearts. And then he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. The good news for us this morning, and you might not see this as good news, is that Jesus sees what's going on inside of you. Jesus sees the questions of of fear and concern, or the expectations that you feel like he hasn't met. He sees everything that's going on inside of you, and he's inviting you into a conversation. You see, some of, we read the New Testament and we can get down on the scribes and the Pharisees who we'll see in a few moments. But what Jesus was doing was he was inviting them into to what he was doing. He's saying this healing that's happening and the questions that you have, you don't have to be distant from it. You can take part in it. Because everything you've been studying about in the Old Testament has been about me. You've been waiting for me and you can have me. I'm here for you. Don't let a tradition stand between me and you. He wants, Jesus wants a conversation. He wants a conversation with these leaders. 
And Jesus wants a conversation with you. He wants for you to take the thing that's going on in your heart. The concern, the objection, the frustration. And he wants you to bring that to him. And he wants to work that through with you. And that might mean you check out from the rest of the sermon. But if God is engaging with you, then do that. Right? Do that now with him. And then we get this little note from a reader or to the reader. Lots of the commentators don't think that Jesus said these words, but that Mark wrote this for us. But that in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. See, Jesus wouldn't identify himself. He wouldn't give himself away in this moment, in this way. It's for us. But then we get verse 11 and 12. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Can Can you imagine this morning getting up, not being able to, to move, maybe you move your arms, but from about here down, you can't move anything else. And you're just waiting for, you know, a servant or family member or friend to come and help you. And today is the day that Jesus is in town. And you, you get to Jesus and you're before Jesus and Jesus has forgiven you and called you son. And then he says, all right, now for the grand finale of all this, rise, take up your mat, and go home. Can you imagine the fear that would be going on inside of you? Is, is Jesus just going to make fun of me? Is Jesus going to watch me try and get up, fall, and be like, ha, 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 look at this guy. You know, he thought that I was actually going to heal him, right? I don't know if any of you have been made fun of in that way or made fun of someone in that way. That caused a lot of pain. And instead, Jesus brings lots of dignity to this man. And the faith that it takes to stand up when you might never have ever stood up on your legs before and to take up your mat and to be able to go home. This is God-given faith to be able to do that. I'm going to ask a lot, like, are you sure, Jesus? Are you sure this is what I'm supposed to do? Are you sure that my legs aren't going to give out? Are you sure? But he does. Walk. See, and in this moment, Jesus is showing everyone there This is what you've been waiting for. This is what you've been waiting for. Right, imagine that if someone came in right now and just said like, um, hey, this person has has COVID, deep symptoms, they should be in the the intensive care unit, um, healed, gone, done, no more. It's like, whoa, we need to cart Jesus around to more people and like take care of this, take care of this problem, right? What's impossible is now being made possible. And it's like, we've been waiting for you, Jesus, We thought the vaccine was the thing. We thought whatever was the thing, but now you're the thing. And this is what they've been waiting for. Listen to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, 700 years before Jesus came, this was said by the prophet Isaiah. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, don't fear. Behold your God. Now think Jesus. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And what we see in the the ministry and life of Jesus is that he is angry against sin and sickness and death. That was not part of his creation. And then we see in verse 5 that when he comes, 
The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. How many of us want this? Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. This is what's happening on this day. The lame, paralyzed man is leaping and jumping around like a deer. This is incredible. The tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Jesus is showing them again, everything that you've been waiting for is here in me. That, that little void in your heart that you can't seem to fill with anything else, it's longing for me. The fact that you didn't like that you just buried your friend or relative, you're longing for me to bring no more death. The sadness that you experience on a regular basis, you're longing for me to bring no more sadness. The desire to be in relationship with the true and living God, Jesus is saying, I'm here to do that for you. William Lane says this, healing is a gracious movement of God into the sphere of withering and decay, which are the tokens of death at work in a man's life. So we see paralysis and Jesus says healing. We see death, Jesus says now there is life. Jesus wants to bring shalom. Have you heard the word shalom before? Shalom is, is like our, our understanding of peace on steroids, right? Think every single thing in all of creation plus the spiritual realm being in harmony together, right? Shalom. This is what we long for. This is what we desire. And this is what Jesus brings. And at the end of this account, they said, we have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. For people in that room, they saw this happen, and they still left and didn't, didn't believe. They didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Maybe you hear accounts like this, and you're like, man, it's fairy tales. It just sounds like fairy tales. Uh, Mumford and Sons, one of my favorite bands, they have this, uh, this song, Awake My Soul. And in th that song, it says, lend me your eyes, I can change what you see. Jesus is saying, well, give me your eyes. Give me your eyes. You, you think you're, you're seeing everything that's here, but give me your eyes. I'll show you who I really am. I'll show you what I'm all about. I'll show you that I am the one that you've been looking for. Now, I mentioned at the beginning about disrupt, or distractions and interruptions. Jesus is in mid-sermon. Someone cuts a hole in the ceiling, drops a paralyzed man down, and it's like Jesus rests. Jesus has been working hard teaching and, and sewing and doing all this stuff. And then he, he sees this man and he says, ah, thank you, Dad. Thank you, Father, that you've brought me this opportunity to enjoy the kingdom of God. You've brought me this opportunity to, to bring healing and forgiveness to this man. That not every interruption and distraction is a bad thing. What we see in Jesus' life is where he actually enjoys the fruit and takes bites of this fruit that is offered out to him to say, ah, this is why I came. You realize that. And you realize that if, if Christ is living in you as he sends you out into the world, your interruptions in life are not, are not mere things to get in the way of your Google calendar. They're, they're opportunities to be embraced, to say, ah, oh, what is this interruption here for? 
What do you want me to do? Who are you going to bring along? How can I minister to someone? What is this interruption? I can picture Jesus in this moment where this man gets healed and is forgiven, not in a stoic thing like I told you, but laughing, enjoying this, celebrating, maybe dancing with the man, right? That Jesus entered into this with great joy. But I want to do one more scene, one more crowd scene. So, in, in, so the healing takes place, forgiveness takes place. Then a little while later, Jesus is uh, beside the sea, the Sea of Galilee in verse 13. And all the crowds were coming to him, and it says he was teaching them again. So same thing. Crowds come teaching. But then we see verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Jesus gets distracted. How many of you get distracted? All the time, right? All the time. There's, distractions can be redeemed. There can be a good side to distraction. Because as Jesus was with the crowd, Jesus sees someone over in the corner that wasn't part of the crowd. Levi. And what do we know about Levi? Reminds, it rhymes with Rax Rolector. Tax collector, yeah, really good, insightful. So he was a tax collector. Tax collectors were like outcasts, not, not where they like. They were outcasts. They had been excommunicated from their families, from society. They were no longer considered part of the people of God. They could not enter into a synagogue again where people worshipped on a regular basis. Furthermore, this is, I like this stuff about Jesus is that this tax collector probably also would have taxed the fish. Now, up to this point, Jesus has four fishermen who had probably been taxed by this guy on a regular basis. And so Jesus goes after the guy who's been taxing and brings him together with the guys who have been taxed. And he says, yeah, yeah, we're going to be family together, right? My kingdom's going to be like that type of family, right? Coming, overcoming some of these, some of these boundaries and barriers that we've set up in society. But Jesus doesn't see that he's a tax collector. You see, some of you define yourselves by, by your past. Some of you define yourself by a choice that you've made or by something that's happened to you. And that's not how Jesus looks at you. Jesus looks at you as a potential follower of him or a current follower of him that can do significant things in his kingdom by his power. So when he sees Levi, he sees a willingness to leave everything that he's been about and potential that if Jesus is to invest in him, if Jesus is going to invest in, in Levi, then he's going to have a whole new story. And do you know what happened with Levi? Levi, once he began following Jesus, he began entering into synagogues again. But not just to meet with God in that place, but to be with God. Right, it's quite a radical reversal that Jesus does. He switches identities completely and allows for you to have access into places that you never could have had access to because of the decisions and choices that you've made on your own. And he calls this enemy into his company. And this is always what God does, isn't it? Jesus never, ever called a friend of his or a righteous person into his family. He only has called enemies and unrighteous people to come into his family and to make them righteous. That's the good news of the gospel. 
is that Jesus came after sinners, after rebels, after outcasts, and said, yeah, 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 you're my people. You're my people. Not the people who thought they were my people because they they were playing religion the right way or doing the right things and not doing the bad things. Not that that in and of itself is bad, but that doesn't earn us a relationship with God. Jesus says the only way that you get to be in is by understanding that you are a rebel and you are against me. And when you acknowledge that, then you can have access into my kingdom. I'm ready to forgive you. I'm ready to bless you. I'm ready to call you a son or daughter. And Levi got this. Man, he really got it. Imagine this morning you wake up rejected by everyone and God himself comes to you and says, I don't reject you. Come with me. Follow me. I want to change you. And I'm intentionally coming after you to bring you into my family. Jesus leaves the crowd to go after the one that could never be part of the crowd so that that one could be part of his family forever. Levi got this the same way that the paralyzed man, Jesus was his only hope. Levi was looking at Jesus and he's like, you're my only hope. If you ditch me, I lose everything. I have nothing else to go to. And Levi, after he leaves it all, he then has this big party for Jesus because he says to his friends, I want all of you to know who Jesus is. I was in a fraternity before uh, becoming a follower of Jesus. You know what goes on in a fraternity, I'm assuming. Uh, Just kind of a crazy life. And when I became a follower of Jesus at 22, I went back to my fraternity house and told everyone about Jesus. And they're like, what did you do last night? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, I think they call it saved. I think it got saved. (laughs) You know, they're like, what are you talking about? And I just sat with my fraternity brothers and went through my very limited knowledge and understanding of what just took place. And two of them became followers of Jesus. And it's just like we, everything we were looking for and and the way that our lives were set up was really looking for him, was looking for him. And as Levi told all of his friends, hey, my my reject buddies, there's someone who's not going to reject us. And he was inviting us into this family. They wanted in too. And so Jesus shows up at the sinner party. Listen, verse 15. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. These sinners were written off by society. Could never have a place. But yet in Jesus' kingdom... They were were central. They were reclining with God himself, enjoying his presence. These are not the synagogue or churchy people. They wouldn't have thought of the Bible, but Jesus is eating with them, saying that I accept you. I accept you. They were loved. They were loved. Listen to this quote. Jesus loves and accepts sinners as they are. If they forsake their evil and amend their lives, they do so, as did Levi. Not in order to gain Jesus' favor, but because Jesus had loved them as sinners. You see, they experienced a love that they had never experienced before. And they wanted that love forever. Jesus loved being distracted by sinners. And he still loves it. Jesus came to be a doctor We'll end with this, verse 17. When Jesus heard what the religious people were saying, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. If you're a doctor, 
you, I'm, I'm, maybe doctors hope this. I hope no sick people come today. But you, you become a doctor because you assume that sick people are going to come to your clinic or to the hospital. You assume that people are going to come that need your help. And Jesus said, I didn't come for people who are fine or who think they're fine. I came for people who know that they're sick. I came for people who know they're broken, who know that they need a rescuer. And if you know you need a rescuer, then here I am. I'm the doctor you've been looking for. Maybe you can't get into the synagogue, but that's okay. God himself came to be with you. Jesus didn't rebuke people for their sickness, but he brought restoration to them. You see, his love for his neighbor dominated his mission. So let me, let me end with a few questions or, or thoughts, I guess. Um, interruptions and distractions, though we don't see them necessarily as, as fun and amazing. Interruptions and distractions were opportunities for Jesus to stop and enjoy the kingdom of God breaking in. How many times, I believe that God is sovereign, I believe that he is in full control, but I also believe that we can miss opportunities that maybe God has given to us to enjoy him. So how many things, being in a rush or being very focused and driven and like I just got to stick to the plan, how many things have we missed that God has invited us into because we refuse to be interrupted or distracted. Remember during COVID, the kids would come, bang on the door, and be like, no, no, daddy's doing very important things, right? But then usually Stella, who's my youngest, she would not listen, right? That's a whole other story, but she trouble listening, and she just opens the door and runs in, and in the middle of my rebuke, she just gives me a big hug. She's like, I just love you, daddy. And it's like, yes, I want to be interrupted with love. I want to be interrupted with those things. And God is saying, I want to interrupt your schedule so that you can experience my love and so that others can experience my love. How do you respond to interruptions and distractions? How do you respond? Probably really good some days and really bad other days, I'm sure. But what if these are the ways that God has been inviting you to enjoy kingdom of God fruit? And how can we embrace, right, how can we embrace the distractions and interruptions that God brings? This, this is what I'm doing. I do it imperfectly. But when an interruption comes, I say, God, what are you doing? And usually it's like accusatory, right? I have issues still. But I'm like, God, what are you doing? Right? Because I know that you're in control. I know you're sovereign. But is this something you want me to put everything aside for and to enter into? If it is, I'm all in. I'm all in. And I'll get that work done later. Or I'll do that thing later. Uh, if it's not, help me be focused. And usually it's like, no, no, I'm interrupting because I want for you to enjoy this thing. I want for you to get to minister to someone. I want for you to care for someone. I want for you to encourage someone. I want you to be encouraged. I've sent this person to you to, to tell you something, right? You see, when, when interruptions and distractions came, Jesus just stopped everything. He accomplished more than any of us will ever accomplish. And he just moved at a very intentionally slow pace. Whatever God wanted for him to do, he would stop and do. And when little kids would come in, and everyone was like, no, 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 this is adult work, he would say, get out of the way. Like, let the little kids come. I have plenty of time for them. You can tell, you can tell a lot about a person the way that, that kids are around them, right? People who are, who are inviting the kids, who, who want kids to be around them, who, who love them, right? It says something significant about them. 
usually. But what distractions and interruptions do we need to say no to? Because there are a lot of distractions that you distract yourself with, right? You don't need to check your social media that many times. You don't need to check your email that many times. You don't need to be on that website that many times. You don't need to do, right? There are lots of distractions that we bring ourselves into that we need to say no to these things. But right now, we're, we're in the middle of an interruption, aren't we? Life is kind of on pause for us in, in many different ways. Um, and right now, in this moment, we've stopped everything, haven't we? To be together. We're here in this moment. So, what does Jesus want to do right now? What does Jesus want to do right now? Because you came here. You came here with hearts full of discontentment, contentment, excitement, animosity, belief, disbelief. You, you came like not just a static people, but you came moving, right? What does Jesus want to do with you right now? So here's the thing. He, he sees you. He sees past your facade. He sees past your mask. I love hanging out with people for the first time and, and like seeing what their, their whole faces look like. You know, like, oh, you actually have a smile. It's amazing. But Jesus sees past your mask. He sees what's going on in you. He knows your real need right now. Will you interrupt him and let him provide for you? Will you interrupt Jesus this morning, this afternoon, wherever we're at now, and let him provide for you? I've heard people pray to to Jesus before and say, Jesus, I know you're really busy, but I'm like, you know know he's like omnipotent, like all-powerful, right? Like, I didn't know that. Oh, okay, let me tell you about that. But like, he, he's able to minister to each one of us individually in this moment and not be overwhelmed. Will you interrupt him and say, Jesus, this is what I need. Would you meet me here? Do you need to be forgiven this morning? Do you need Jesus to forgive you? Is this the morning or the afternoon where you say, Jesus, I surrender everything to you. You see me you love me, I need to be forgiven. Do you need to be healed this morning? Is there something going on uh, emotionally, physically, that you need to be healed from? Jesus would love to heal you. I woke up, I'm like stretching because I woke up uh, yesterday morning with this massive, massive pain right here. And it's, it's still there a little bit, uh, but it's, it's slowly going away. It's like the more I preach, the more it's going away. And then usually the more I preach, the more tense I get, the more things start to ache. But I need to be healed this morning or this afternoon. But do you need to be healed? And are you willing to, to dig a hole where Jesus is? Are you willing to dig a hole so that he can focus on you? Because he wants to. He wants to minister to you. You're not so small and insignificant. He made you, he created you, and he wants to minister to you. So let me end with a simple prayer over over our lives. It's one that you know, I'm sure. But as Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we're moving through our lives, as we're moving through this afternoon, a day off tomorrow for most people, it's crazy, isn't it? Day off, exciting. But Jesus, what is it that you want me to do? It's your will, and I want, I want your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Embrace the interruptions and the distractions that Jesus has for you.
I'll end with this quote by Mumford and Sons. Lend me your eyes, I can change what you see. So awake my soul, for you were made to meet your maker. You were made to meet your maker. Jesus, thank you that you made us, you created us, you fashioned us. I thank you that you see where we are and what we're going through. You see everything about us. And you're not, you're not looking to keep us at distance, but rather, like you did with Levi, you're, you're, you're wanting us to follow you. And as a paralytic was lowered down, you want us to be dropped into your lap. You want for us to give up and to say how needy we really are so that we can have you and enjoy you. And I pray that we would embrace the, the interruptions and, and distractions that you put in our lives and see them as opportunities to enjoy your kingdom coming. To not see those as things to be avoided or to get around or just get through as quickly as we can, but to stop and enjoy them as, as fruit of our labor, as fruit of your labor. So we love you and we need you for everything. We pray this in your name. Amen.